Welcome to the Robo's podcast basketball series. It is glory time. The NBA finals are on, so we're going to touch that shortly. Pro, what's going on? Well, it's 3.30 in the fucking morning over here, so there's nothing going on. Pro is the absolute trooper for this podcast, so he couldn't do tomorrow morning his time. Uh, sorry, tomorrow night his time, uh, which is morning Australia time. But he only told me a couple of days before, of course, because his organizational skills aren't, aren't the best at times, but that's okay. We, we still love him. But he he, just, he then said, you know what? I said, look, I'll do, the, I'll do the pod solo on Sunday. He said, no, 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 fuck that. I'll get up at 3.30 in the morning on my Saturday. I'll drive out to the office out in California where he's working guys out and he'll jump on the podcast. And this is us now, pro. So you're a fucking, you're a roadboat trooper, man. Yeah, no, no fucking question, Bogues. And you know, I mean, seriously, if you did the if you did the pod by yourself, who the fuck are you gonna make fun of? <laughs> yeah, it's fair enough. Fair enough. Who's gonna make fun of themselves as much as you? It's a good point. It's a good Actually, point. the agent here, his name's Kevin Bradbury, biggest ball breaker on two fucking feet. And the only way I could shut him the fuck up is by making fun of myself before he makes fun of me. And he gets fucking bullshit. So yes, that, that is my that is my superhero. Besides eating, that my second superpower is making fun of myself. And tell tell everyone about the uh, the the, fro- the frog in the fro- throat, bro, uh, bro. I thought you were sick, but you're not, dude. Well, first of all, I'm mentally sick. But second, I went from fucking sitting on my couch, my fat ass, for like three and a half years, to actually working like seven hours a day working guys out. So. Unlike most coaches in the NBA, assistants on that second row, I actually try to teach something and I just don't rob a check twice a month. So I actually just, you know, <laughs> when you're actually teaching something for six hours and actually working, yeah, your fucking throat, your throat tends to go. She's yelling at all those little kids, man, abusing all these little kids in the court, bro. Come on, and all these, all these nah, asp- aspirational on. NBA players just, to, you know, yelling and screaming at him, man. You got to, you got to, you got to do it quietly, like Phil Jackson, just sits in the corner with your legs crossed and just whistle every now and then the triangle symbol. <laughs> I would if I would if they were paying me fifteen million a year to win twenty games a year, like Phil Jackson did with the Knicks. I want that fucking contract. Mm. Anyway, let's move on. Let's wrap up. I want to wrap up with Game 7, uh, Boston and Miami, because I don't think we, we, we uh, did the pod before that game was live. Um, obviously, Boston uh-huh. got the chocolates in that one. Uh, it felt like Jimmy Butler versus the rest um, uh, through a lot of that series. I mean, Jimmy ended up finishing – didn't finish the finish series off okay, but had a few – Bad games in the middle of it. People questioning whether he was hurt. 25-7-3 finished for the series. So not eye-popping numbers by any means. Bam was 15-8 and eight, and that was it, pro, as far as double digits for the Miami Heat. Um, Tyler Harrow was virtually unplayable late in the series, uh, I think for defensive reasons, and he wasn't really scoring at a decent clip to, to, to warrant how bad he was defensively. There were rumors he was carrying, still carrying that groin injury that he might have rushed back from that. But, he, you know, to have only two guys scoring double digits for Miami doesn't help. You move to the Celtics, and it was a balanced attack. Tatum, Brown, Smart, White, all double digits. Horford at 9.8, so basically double digits. That's five guys that are, that are bringing it every night. Tatum, 25, 8, and 5.6. 
Brown, uh, 20, 24 points, uh, seven rebounds. Smart, 16, six and six. And I thought White was good throughout that series as well in spurts. But um, yeah, just, it just looked clunky for Miami. I think we, we all ex- kind of expected that, offensively especially, but they, they just didn't have enough. And I think it just really, Boston's depth and balance really showed in this series. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it's just unlucky deal for Miami to have Tyler Hero hurt. Look, that's how the team's constructed. It's a very good team. They're hard-nosed. They play defense. They rally around Jimmy Butler. But they expect Tyler Hero to come in, you know, try to get 18, 19 from him, you know, and everybody else, the shot making from, you know, Robinson and, you know, try to get something from Kyle Lowry. But Kyle Lowry is hurt. You know, Tyler Hero's out. I mean, there's really nothing that they, they got offensively. You and I talked about it. You mentioned it, especially that you expected Jimmy Butler to be one of the only scorers in this series besides maybe Hero. And they lived up to that expectation. They just didn't have enough scoring to, you know, look, he could get you through the first round. He might even get you to the second round. But to win a conference final, I think you need a lot more energy in your scoring. And you need that really, that second go-to guy. And they really didn't have it. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's that old adage, like, they're really good defensively. um, But you can get five stops in a row. But if you're not scoring at the other end, it just kills it kills you. It puts a lot more pressure, and it's the same thing, uh, you know, at the, at the at the offensive for teams that are really offensive based. That if you if you're hot offensively, but you can't get a stop, so it's that balance, right? And 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 Miami had, you know, there were numerous games where they'd have three, four, five minutes of, of fantastic defense, keeping teams to twenty percent from the field, some turnovers, but they couldn't score themselves. And it was just like it was an ugly series for the most part, in my opinion. I, I thought it was really clunky, very swingy series, but. Not kind of not the swingy of like a Minnesota Memphis series that we saw earlier on in the playoffs. It was it was more of an ugly clunky where it was there was a lot of adjustments and whatnot, but just not not a great series on the eye. I don't believe. But Boston, like you know, much deserved trip to the finals. Where to for Miami, bro? Um, they've got an extension available for Hero now. There's people saying that in his camp, obviously that he's looking at towards max money. I think that's. That's insane, but you never know these days. It only takes one team to, to kick the tires on it. That's one. Number two, Duncan Robinson. <laughs> that's that's the elephant in the room in Miami. I mean, you think about that that money they, that they've given him, they could get two very, very good, you know, third-tier stars for that kind of money, right? Uh, maybe four-tier star, really good complementary players. Uh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking like Andre Iguodala when he came to the Warriors the first time. That kind of money gets you gets you that kind of guy and you've got a bit of change left. Um, so that's the other one. What's crazy for me is that the big so there were some big contributors minute-wise and, and in numerous games throughout the playoffs in Strauss, Vincent, and Martin. You know, not big names, but they they probably they they played more than Duncan Robinson. They even some of them played more than uh, Hero. I mean, Vincent and and Martin played more minutes than Hero late in that series. They're all on bare minimum money, like nothing really, like all under two million dollars. Um, I think Martin's bird rights are. I think um, they have his bird rights, but they could lose him in free agency. Strauss and Vincent have one of those standard San Antonio Spur type deals, I think, with the um, the non guaranteed pickup dates and all that kind of shit, but. To see those three guys on tiny, so tiny salaries do so well for them, is kind of, you think about if they didn't have those three guys and all the money they've got locked up with, so, okay, Jimmy Butler's on a shitload, Kyle Lowry's on a lot. Um, so that, this is where that trade comes into question now. Duncan Robinson, do you pay Aero Pro? That's a good question, Bogues. Like, I always say this, 
Like, how are you going to recreate Tyler Hero? Like, if you don't, if you, like, the first thing that comes out of a person's, you know, mouth or something that comes to their mind is, well, he's not a max player. Okay. Well, I, I understand your thought process there, but how are you going to recreate him if he, if he doesn't sign? You know, he's got one more year left uh, at 5.7. And then, you know, obviously he's, he's extension eligible. But where are you going to go? Like, where are you going to get another Tyler Hero from? Um, we, we've been through this time and time again. Everyone said, well, this contract's terrible. It's untradeable. Every type of contract in the last three or four years has been traded. You know, um, and we, we've been through it. The, the Chris Paul deals, the... You know, Kyle Lowry. Russell Westbrook deal, Kyle <laughs> Lowry deal, right? Mm. So they're all tradable. Um, what hurts them is Duncan Robinson, you give that money to, you don't play him at all like later in the playoffs. So what does that do to his like trade value when you say, well, you know, when you're calling the Celtics or you're calling the Phoenix Suns on Duncan Robinson and say, hey, what are you thinking? They're like, hey, asshole, you didn't play him in the fucking playoffs. So are you really expecting us to give you a lot of assets back in this trade for Duncan Robinson? So that's the only problem you have. If you take Tyler Hero off that team with Jimmy Butler and Adebayo, you know, once you get by Jimmy Butler and Adebayo, where does, where does the scoring come from outside of Hero? Mm-hmm. So that's the problem. Like, I, you know, Oladipo, I don't know, like, He's so out of sync because he's just coming back from the injury and you know, Strauss next is doing well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and Vincent. So, folks, I would because I think Hero's got trade value, and I think he can, you know he could score points for you if that if he could do one thing for you, he could definitely make shots and score points. And I think there is value for that. Is he a super max type of player down the line? I don't know. Probably not. But again, it's it's. Okay, you don't pay him the max, but if he ever walked, how are you going to get that back? You're not going to get Tyler Hero back in the in the draft because you're going to be drafting it by 22 or or later. You're not going to get him in free agency because all your money's basically spent. So that's where the whole thing comes in. Where okay, he may not be worth the max, but I don't think we can get a guy like that back. So we might have to roll with it. So. And then Oladipo as well. Oladipo as well is, is a free agent too, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, Duncan Robinson and Duncan Robinson is owed sixty four million three hundred fifty thousand to the twenty five twenty six season. So I think that contract's not going to go anywhere. It's going to be a very hard one to sign. A guy I'd compare Hero to, kind of um, Jordan Clarkson to an extent. Jordan Clarkson four years fifty million. So we we think I think you think Hero's going to get more than that, right? I think he will. Because, look, he's younger. Um, he, he's done it in the playoffs. He's done it deep in the playoffs. I don't care what you call the bubble. I mean, the agent's going to be like, wait, look, I don't give a fuck if it's a bubble or not. This guy contributed to a finals team. Twice. He's done well. Yeah. He's been consistent. Yeah, six men of the year. Plus, everybody gets overpaid anyway. Um, I do compare him a little bit of a Clarkson, but I think he does have more value than Clarkson because Clarkson really didn't hit it in his value, probably until year four or so in the NBA mm-hmm. five. This kid, Hero, was doing it probably since his rookie year. So I think he carried the mail for a team a lot earlier than Clarkson did. Remember, Clarkson started his career, I believe, for the Lakers. 
You yep. didn't really get really going until like year three or four. So I think he's going to warrant a, a max deal. And they're just going to have to roll with it because imagine that team, folks, without Hero. You already saw it in the playoffs without Hero. Lowry yeah. looked like he's a thousand years old. I mean, maybe he finds the fountain youth and does a little better. I think you're going to end up paying Hero. Yeah, I think so. And, and it helps. It's, it's more friendly towards their cap than bringing someone in with that, you know, if you go after someone outside of what you've got now too, right? So we know how that all goes. But, um, yeah, they've got they've got some decisions to make. Um, I, I saw Kendrick Perkins came out and said they need to move Jimmy Butler to, to have a chance to win it all. And it's like, well, yeah, maybe. But you do that, you might even be scratching the surface for a conference finals, you know? So, um, you know. I mean, what's what's worse for- What's worse, Perks takes or or how his wardrobe wardrobe fits his body? I mean, I can speak. <laughs> is he getting bigger or his clothes getting me. smaller? <laughs> I think I think a combination of both. I think he's got to. I, I think he's got to stay away from that craft table, my man. Oh uh, yeah, he's struggling. Yeah, you got to. You're on TV now, my man. You got to get on the treadmill every now and then. But uh, I think it's good for, good for the old soul and the ticker. But uh, yeah, I've noticed that he's he's. He, but he's he's funny. I, I do. I don't mind him. Um, I think he's his uh, his accent and everything plays the part. <laughs> it's just like I can't understand oh, yeah, what he's no saying doubt. half the time. I don't think he can understand what he's saying. But um, no. any, anyway, he, he's uh, let's, a funny bastard. He is. Let, let's roll on to the finals. Um, so this is you, you had four one for the Warriors. I had four two for the Warriors. They say, pro, a series starts when a home team loses a game. Well, holy shit, here we are. <laughs> I did not expect this in game one. Um, I mean, the question marks are: is, is this was this a Warriors collapse or was it a Boston smackdown? Um, Forty minutes of this game were were Warriors basketball for the most part. Um, I have to credit Boston because at times. It looked like they were within, you know, the, not within striking distance. It got out to 12, 13, 14. There were even times where I noticed that, you know, the Boston guys early in the game, um, some missed coverages and the Celtics gave Curry some walk-up threes early. I was worried for Boston. I said, if, if, if your coverages are this messed up at the start of a finals game, you're in some trouble, right? Um, and there was some back and forth between the Celtics. Smart and Brown were getting into it a little bit. There was there was some bad body language, but I got to give them credit, man. They, they, they've, they've stuck together. And I guess they had these ups and downs early in the season when we were on their ass about how bad they were. They've probably gotten over that, but I got to credit Boston because they stayed close. Um, they go on to shoot 21 for 41 from three, bro. That's, that's an amazing number to shoot in, NBA, in your first NBA finals for most of those guys. You have a game where I tell you, Pro, um, Tatum's going to be three for 17 from the field. You'd say they're going to lose, right? Um, but this, this, he comes out and has 13 assists, though. So, you know, I think in the past series, in the, the previous series, he was winging the ball all over the place in some of those games when he wasn't shooting it well. And, and he'd have, you know, eight, eight assists, seven turnover type games. I think he only had two turnovers in this game. So he really found another way to affect the game. That was a game high 13 assists. Al Horford, I mean, huge. 26 points, six for eight from three, but huge timely baskets. Um, when, the, when the game kind of was starting to get out of reach for the Warriors and they try to make a run, um, it was you know, a three-point game, and then he bangs a big three, gets it out to six. Just absolutely huge for me. Um, Jalen Brown hit his averages um, as, as per normal, and White was huge in this game like he was in the previous series. True scoring puncher found off the bench. Really efficient, 21 points, 5 for 8 from three. I thought he was really, really good. Um, give me your take on Boston before I get into uh, the Warriors a little bit more. Yeah, folks, like, it's funny. When Draymond said it that they dominated for 40 minutes – 
I thought that Boston was really there most of the game. Like, yeah, they made their run. And it's funny because I saw the game, uh, I was watching it, and then I had to go to workout. So, like, Boston, I thought, was dead to rights. And then we, like, go through the workouts for, like, three hours. And then the game's on in the background. I say, hey, what the fuck is the score? And they goes, fucking Boston is up 11. I almost shit my pants. I was like, what the fuck? I thought they were done. And I just watched the game again, um, actually about two hours ago, because it's in the middle of the night. And I spent the night in this fucking office building. And I watched it on YouTube TV. And um, I, I, was, I was pretty surprised most of the game. I thought Boston... Um, held their own a little bit, even through those runs from Golden State. And like you said, like Tatum, Brown, you know, Tatum and Brown had it, but Marcus Smart and Horford and Pritchard and, you know, even Daniel Theis was banged a three in. And, you know, they got a really – Grant Williams played hard. Derek White obviously was really good when they needed him to be. So they really had a, a, a deep scoring punch and – I just thought they'd never quit. And that's, that's the MO of this team all year. Like you and I, like you said, we're down on them, especially early in the year. And these guys always stay together. And Adoka's done a great job coaching them and motivating them. And uh, yeah, they just stayed with it. And what, like, I'd like your take on Golden State or what happened in this game, because it was like, you know, it looked like they were flowing and Boston just came fucking roaring back. Yeah, and look, I saw the comments. I don't think they dom- – I think there was Warriors basketball for 40 minutes. I don't think they dominated by – in those 40. Let's not forget Boston tied the game or got it within within a basket at half, by halftime. So I think the Warriors, you know, they played their brand of basketball in the first quarter and that, that usually is enough. When, they, when they're playing that well, Steph gets a few walk-up threes from miscommunications, 3-3-3, three, 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 bang, bang, bang. They're flowing. They usually get a team on their heels, and most teams don't have enough to bounce back. Boston showed me something. They, they, like you said, they just did not fold. Most teams will fold, especially in the game one. They'll be like, you know, uh, it's tough to claw back. We're on the road. We're not supposed to win the first two anyway on the road. Let's watch a film, get you know, and adjust. Boston were like, nah, we're gonna we're gonna keep punching at you, and they made some timely shots. But I, I don't know. The Warriors maybe think that you know they'll, they'll flow in the right way, but it, it all kind of fell apart within. I wouldn't say the last seven or eight minutes because I, f- I feel like they should have had a bigger, bigger lead at half. I think they finished the first half very, very poorly. They'll definitely address that. The end of the end of quarters, I don't think for the whole game were great. Um, they'll address that. They'll address that. Their turnovers. Um, they didn't have a lot. I think they only had fourteen turnovers, but they were bad turnovers to the point where they were giving up layups or fast break transition points. Whereas when the Boston turned it over, it was usually going out of bounds or it was an offensive foul or it was going off someone's foot. So, so you have to look into that as well. Points of turnovers played a, a key part in this. But yeah, it just felt like you know I think the Warriors were flowing nicely, and most teams in Golden State on the road are going to fold pretty quickly. And and this Boston team were down big and were supposed to fold and they didn't. They just did not fold. And I look at, you know, Steph has 34, but he went real quiet late in that game. I know that's going to bug him. Uh, along with the Warriors as a whole, to be honest with you, the last four or five minutes, it was like, it was clunk, It was the clunkiest we've seen their their offense because they were searching and they, they couldn't they couldn't get a basket. And then they go on the other end and Boston's just knocking in every big three they needed to knock in. Al Horford had not only the game of his life, but that, that last three or four minutes he hit, two or three key shots when the Warriors were making a run. 
Um, Clay was poor, um, and he'll even tell you that by his lofty standards. So I, I think we'll see a bounce back from him. He, he looked out of sorts that whole game. He was searching for his shot. Um, he didn't really get a comfortable one-up all game. Um, he had to really work. He shot a lot of those one-foot fadeaways. He'll clean that up. I think he'll be more locked in defensively. Wiggins was, was was solid for him. He was okay. Um, Otto Porto, I think, was good. He came off the bench. He was four for five from three, knocked some big ones in when they were going on their run. But, yeah, man, it just I'm, – I'm, I'm as shocked as anyone. I, I did not think it would turn – I think anyone watching that game was like, we know how this is going to end, you know, whether, how much the Warriors going to win by, right? And it didn't go that way. One thing I'll note, um, and H-Bob, our guy – Harabos Volgaris, check him out on Twitter if you haven't already. Um, he posted some clips just of the floor spacing on Twitter and I, I, I no, noticed these and um, went through his slides and he noted the Warriors usually have um, at least one, if not two, non-shooters at the floor at all times. Sometimes he even said 2.5, so meaning you know, maybe you, you wouldn't really classify Wiggins as a knockdown three-point shooter. He, he's, he can knock, knock a few down, but that's not what he wants to do. He wants to get in the paint. So maybe you say 2.5. And he discussed how the Celtics, they have a minimum of four shooters at all times. So one non-shooter, and that's usually when Williams is in the game, then all of a sudden they go to the lineups with Horford at the five where it's five shooters throughout the game. So that they never have two non-shooters. And he he followed this up. You might think, oh, what's 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 the big deal? Who cares? You follow this up and, and he tweeted some some clips of the floor spacing difference. So I urge everyone to go online and have a look. It's 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 bad. Like it's it's really, really bad. And and, and it's to the point where Boston's just got that paint loaded up around Steph. They know where Clay is, and then the rest they're gambling and hedging off. And you go down the other end, and the Warriors are stretched on most possessions. Um, they like, you know, they like Draymond to to play quarterback, and I think Draymond will watch that film and th- and say, oh, he was quarterbacking too much defensively that game. I think he was. He he ended up on White or Horford at times, and was was too too far in the paint trying to help his teammates out that had the ball under control, and then just couldn't get to those shooters at three. He'll he'll clean that up, but that was a problem for them. But the floor spacing pro for those those watching the game, the Celtics do a fantastic job of clogging the paint and knowing their scouting report and knowing who to stun off. So sometimes they know, hey, we're going to leave we're going to leave Wiggins wide open because I'm guarding Steph next pass away. I'm not even going to hedge. I'm going to stay home. We're going we're going to dare Wiggins to make it. So. As I said pre this series, um, but both the teams, the others, White for me with Boston, and he has 21 off the bench, they win the game. And for me, it was your Wiggins and those type of guys, Otto Porter. They had okay games, but you're going to need more from them. Draymond Green's going to knock in three or two as well because they're not, you know, they're, they're really packing off him. But just something really, really useful for those um, basketball analytics people on, on Twitter that love to, to, to see th- different things. Go on that account and just check the, the screenshots of, of that floor spacing pro. Yeah, I think Wiggins, you know, struggle in the game shooting for sure. Two for seven. I mean, he's like a 40% three-point shooter, though, Bogues. Like, he does, he's very streaky. I think he shoots like 39 plus, but like, you know, he was streaky. And here's the thing, though, and again, Boston does such a good job defensively. Do you think Horford's going to come back and continue that offensive, like, juggernaut you know, scoring 20, you know, 22, 23 plus. I mean, and does Golden State struggle for that long? I thought Golden State, you know, they obviously didn't put the foot on the gas as much as they should have, and it costed them. But I thought that, um, I thought that they just got overrun. And look, I don't think, 
Look, I thought Phil Jackson was much of a blowhard as a coach, and most most of his success came with you know Hall of Fame players. But that one thing that fucker could do is make adjustments after getting his ass beat in a game in the finals or, or the semifinals. And that's what coaching is in the NBA. And I think, look, they got all the horses and they got, they don't have really injuries, Golden State. They have to make some adjustments. They got to move the ball. They can't be turning it over when they need, when they turn it over. Their spacing needs to improve. They got to continue to move the ball and get great shots. And they got to hunker down defensively. You know, they can't, they can't allow a guy like Horford to score 26 on you. And, you know, but the problem is Boston's got multiple people that can do some harm. And I think what really, really helped Boston was the, was the play of Robert Williams. I mean, that fucker was everywhere, blocking shots, altering shots, rebounding. He's not really a scorer, but what he does lob threat, from an though. energy standpoint, yeah, big time lob threat. You know, he's loony 9.0, and that's the thing. And, yeah, you're right. Like, Golden State with two non-shooters with Looney and um, and Draymond on the floor for the most of the game. Wiggins cannot be that second-and-a-half guy where he's struggling shooting the ball. This is the playoffs. This is, like, this is the finals. This is what really constitutes if you're a real all-star or not, if you could really, you know, contribute in games like this you can't afford to be silent in a final series so hey look it's one game you know they do say that cliche that we've said about 88 fucking times where you know it doesn't start until somebody loses a a home game and but that's true i mean they but they gotta look they gotta make the adjustments they gotta figure it out on film they got another day to prepare for this thing they gotta come out swinging i don't think the series is done by any stretch of the imagination but they got to smarten the fuck up. Yeah, and they're going to have to steal one in Boston, but hopefully they can get game two just to make it a series. I think they will. Jordan Poole was the other one that was disappointing. He, and I'm not looking at his offensive numbers. He finished with nine, two, and two. Not great numbers, two for seven from the field. But they, he was their, their fine guy, uh, Boston's fine guy. They put him in a lot of action, and they were going at him. They were going straight by him. I mean, there's a clip that was trending online where Jalen Brown did a standard hesitation and left him at the top of the key, and even Steph was was waving his hands like, what are you doing? So there's other guys on that team that need to lock in defensively. I think that's why the Warriors have to have Draymond Green and Kevon Looney out there at times defensively because they know Clay's probably you know a, a slower step than he has been defensively. Steph has gotten much better the last four or five years defensively, but you can't have him in foul trouble and he's not going to be a lockdown defender. Wiggins is probably their best perimeter defender. But then all of a sudden you bring Paul in and he's not a great defender by any means. So they, they can't afford not to have Draymond in the game on the defensive end. Yet on the offensive end at times, it does shrink the floor for him. So they'll make adjustments. This is this this, this team's been in these positions before. They haven't, they haven't lost a game one, I don't think, for, for a long, long time in a final series. It might have been... I think Toronto might have been 2019, maybe. But other than that, in, in the rest of their series, they ever really lose a home game, being game one. Um, but they'll they'll make they'll definitely make adjustments. You know, Steve's not afraid to, to 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 try some things. I mean, they went to a zone at some points in of that game, which I thought was interesting as well with with the shooting that Boston has out there. They went to a zone, obviously it didn't work well. I think he was clutching at straws at that point with adjustments. But it, it's it's fun. This is what you want to see. This is what it's all about. Like people. 
people are you know up at arms about you know I can't believe Golden State lost, but you you got to give you got to give Boston credit on, on this on the flip side. You got Boston fans cheering like they've won it already. So I, I like I like the helter skelter and the erraticness of both teams. But just remember, it's seven games, and this is this is the fun time of year, and this is what you love to see. So this is why both those coaches earn their money, bro. Yeah, no question, folks, and that's it. I mean, yeah, you, know, you got to be able to make adjustments, and team and players got to adjust. They got to figure out in film. They got to see what they got to do better. Like Kobe was a master at it. You know, Kobe would, you know, struggle against a certain team. It would be the Rockets or the Jazz. You know, game one, they did, they played them a certain way. They were like, look, I got to do better in these areas. And look, this is where the film doesn't lie. You figure it out. You know, it, it, it would be one thing if a, a key member was hurt and they didn't really have the weapons. Yeah, look, they should have stepped on the gas a lot more and really, really fucking, you know, shut down Boston. When they had the chance, they didn't. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Golden State. Poole's got to step up, and there's some players that got to step up. And for Boston, they got to keep that intensity defensively, and then offensively, guys got to continue to, to you know, to really step up. I always figure that the NBA Finals and the playoffs, you know, you got to be like the movie Gladiator. If anyone's seen it, I'm a huge movie guy, literally and figuratively. And in one of those scenes where like. The peasants were fighting these gladiators. They all came together. They all had shields and they all fucking surrounded themselves with their own shields and said, we got to stay as a unit, absorb the contact, and then just fucking then attack. As a team, when you're getting, when you're down 15, you got to absorb the attack. You got to continue to push the tempo, get great shots, get stops, and work your way back into a game. You can't just lose your shit if you're down 11, 12 in the first quarter or 18 at the half. You got to do it possession by possession. You got to absorb their worst hit and you got to just keep on fucking rolling with those threes, push the tempo, get st- get stops, move the ball, and you can't just shit your pants if you, you find yourself down 15. I credit Boston a lot for just staying with it and just fucking and just going full steam ahead. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And to your point around Horford, you know, the conversations around can he have that game again? Well, I'll tell you what, you, you might you might say, okay, he's not going to have that game again in the series. Well, I'll tell you what, Tatum's not going to have that game in the series neither. So it evens out, right? Like Tatum's not, not going to be three for 17 every game. So I think, um, you know, I saw Draymond's comments around, you know, they, they shot the piss out of the ball. If they do that all series, you know, we don't think they can, but... You know, I think some adjustments are going to need to be, need to be made to get out to those shooters a bit more and, and, and see if, see if Al Horford can put it on the floor. Um, you know, we know he's older, he's aging. He's definitely going to be tired in game two. You know, I think it was once he'd knocked his first couple in, it was pretty easy for him. So, But like I said, people that are saying, Al Horford's not going to have that game in the series again, well, I can counter that with Tatum's not going to have a game like this in the series again. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm excited. I think this is going to be a great series. And I'm trying to I'm trying to kind of manipulate my schedule over here, Pro, because they come on at about 10, 11 in the morning. So I'm trying to <laughs> trying to figure things out. I've got, I've got a dentist appointment with my son on, on, on the Thursday, which is the Wednesday game. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to sneak my phone in um, while he's in the dentist. But uh, we'll see how that one goes. Um, but looking forward to it. Uh, Adam Silver um, had his standard what is it called, the, the, the yearly finals press conference. A few notable comments from it. He's considering all NBA team voting to go positionless pro, just the 15 best players. You like it or not? Uh, on the outside, I like the sort of traditional you know, position. 
Um, it doesn't surprise me that he's going to this because all the players are complaining about it and wanting, you know, positionless. And you know how he just, he wants to keep those guys happy the best he can. And I think that, you know, it sort of makes sense though. If you do have years, especially with big guys where you have multiple big guys that are, you know, that are centers that, you know, are really good or vice versa with, you know, if you have the five best players in the game being wing players or or perimeter players, just just take your five best. To be honest, folks, hey, look, I'd rather just take the five best players. I'm not against it. I'm a traditionalist, but I am not against it. You know, if you have your top five players or top 15 players, yeah, I mean, fuck it, go positionalist. I'm not, it's not really a big deal to me either way, but um, it, it didn't surprise me that he went this way. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. I, I don't know, you know, I, I like the position thing just because historically the last – X amount of years we've been following the NBA, it's always been the same. So I think it's it's good to compare, um, you know, who was all NBA center that year compared to that year, all that kind of stuff. That goes out the window now if you, if you completely change it. I know contracts, um, uh, you know, there's a lot in contracts around all NBA and that's why players are complaining. Well, it's not fair. I'm better than, you know, let's say a guy like Clint Capella makes it because he has a hell of a year in a, in a good system and I'm better than him. Talent for talent wise, not fair. Well, yeah, it is, but I think it's always been this way. You know, figure it out. Um, I don't, I don't like tweaking with this too much, but I get, I get why they're doing it. Players are firing up. Um, it's the same as the All Star game, but I still think it is a team game for the most part. I know we're trying. I mean, centers are somewhat being alienated to an extent, uh, or big guys, just because the game's gone very guard dominant. It's the way of the future or the way of now. Um, long threes, more threes, this that. Um, but I still think there's. You know, an underappreciation for a guy getting 20 rebounds or blocking five shots, you know. So I think that still needs to be appreciated rather than just a flashy guy. But I doubt it's going to go that way. I think they will change it. Um, what I would also like to change, which we've discussed before, is, is take the voting away from the media, give it to the head coaches. I think that's the fairest possible way for all of these things. I think coaches will be at least the most level-headed. They're not going to... They're going to have bias because everyone has bias. You know, a guy that maybe, maybe got him fired <laughs> with a different team or something like that, an all-star that you know railroaded you out of a team. But for the most part, I think that they'll have the most level-headedness around their voting. Media won't, players won't. Players will be really biased if they get the vote. So that's one other thing I like to change. He also pro poured water on expansion. So there's been rumors over you know the next couple of years that, that – Las Vegas, Seattle, are they going to come into the league? People are dropping that, yeah, the next year or two it's going to happen. I've always said, well, if you do that, you need to bring an East Coast team or potentially you got to you got to move. Maybe Minnesota ends up in the East. Does that happen? You know, there's a lot of things. You can't just bring in a team or two teams in the West and, and nothing on the East. But he's poured water on that and said that's never come from league office. It's always people just trying to drum up some stuff in the news. So that was interesting as well because I thought Seattle, you know, that's probably one one city that definitely deserves deserves a team back there because I, I was only lucky – I was lucky enough to play there only I think one or two se- – I think it was one season and then they then they moved um, and it was it was rocking in there. It was awesome. So I hope they get a team back, bro. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of expansion to be honest with you, Bogues. I mean, I do like these cities getting teams. I would take some cities away from uh, – teams away from some cities. Who? Who are you taking away, bro? In my opinion. Who are you taking away? Uh, Memphis. Memphis, Ooh. New Orleans. You know, wow. Those two for sure. And Sacramento is up there too. <laughs> but my thing, Bogues, is this. It's like like you add more teams, it just waters the league down even more. And, you know, it just, hey, it gives an opportunity. It gives jobs. It, 
It's good for the economy, I guess, if you put it into a team that could support an NBA franchise like like a Seattle, like a Las Vegas. But then it's another, you know, 15 players mm, that are in it. the league, and it just waters it down. But it's not a big deal. Hey, look, if the league wants to expand, I'm all for it. But um, like I said, I'd, I'd rather take it away, like, from a New Orleans. No offense to New Orleans. It's just, you know, not my cup of tea town-wise. But Sacramento either. But it's, um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the league's always going to look to expand. It's more money. It's more franchise fees. It's more money for the league. And I, I don't think, I think they'll always be, knocking on the door with it if they can get it. And yeah, what are you going to do? Fuck it. Expansion's coming. Mm, yeah, it'll come eventually. But yeah, I mean, Adam has said that <sighs> it won't be the next couple of years. I think if if I was a betting man, West Coast, the next team would be Seattle if there was one. East is hard to pick, pro. Where would you where would you put an East Coast team if, if so, so let's say let's say a West Coast team comes in in, in in 10 years, West Coast, you know, Seattle or Vegas, one of those teams comes in. Where do they go on the East Coast? That's a good question, Bogues. I mean, I... I mean, there's St. Louis. That's a small market. There's... Um, uh, Louisville, Kansas, Kansas City's the other one. And it's like, they're, they're, they're small. I'd rather go to... Ba- I'd rather go to fucking Baghdad than go to fucking Kansas City. <laughs> but I, I would probably go like... Chicago Louisville. second team? No. Oh, uh, shit. I do, th- I do Chicago third team versus going to fucking Kansas City. I've been there. Shit. Unless sealed, unless they put an armored vehicle or SEAL Team Six on my Uber fucking options, I, I, I'm not going to fucking Kansas City. It's like Memphis with worse music, so you know, <laughs> not as good music as Memphis. That's a great review, great Google review. Um, but yeah, and I've always, I've always scratched my head at that because it's, it's like I said, it's not as easy as just putting a team in the West. Where do you put a team in the East? Um, there's not, not many options out there. Um, Florida's got two teams. You know, New York's got enough. It's like I, I scratch my head. But anyone, out, anyone out there listening, give me, give me some options that you're thinking of on the East Coast. All right, the Utah Jazz and Quinn Snyder, or Schneider, how you want to say it, um, have discussed their present and future partnership this off season, as he has resisted offers pro for a contract extension that would make him one of the highest paid coaches in the NBA. The Jazz would like to re- retain Schneider and are open to him remaining as head coach even without a long-term deal. Quote, at this point, my informed speculation is that Quinn Snyder is likely going to end up leaving. That was from Tim McMahon, your boy, down there in, uh, in Dallas, Texas. Um, now, if that happens, the Jazz will be appreciative of that decision coming sooner than later. No shit, because they're going into a preseason soon. They don't want to be um, that late into the summer and have to make a decision and they have to scramble to hire a head coach. What's going on? Have you heard anything there? I mean, who turns down one of, one of the highest paying gigs? Is he Maybe he knows something's, something's, some players are leaving Utah and things are about to implode, but to turn down a contract extension that would give you one of the highest paid spots in the NBA, pro, that's, uh, that's head scratching. Yeah, I mean, nobody really knows a team until you live there, like unless you're with them every day. You don't know what he's going through. Maybe... Maybe he feels as though, well, if New York struggles, you know, you don't know what's going to happen with Thibodeau. You don't know what's going to happen with Nash. Um, this new hiring with the Lakers, like, if that goes bad and they have to retool, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to coach the Lakers right now. But I'm saying, like, maybe he sees, like, New York with big money and they're trying to get Donovan Mitchell and, you know, maybe seeing that, you know, the Utah is going to sort of – sort of retool the team and, and sort of blow it up and maybe he doesn't want to be a part of that rebuild and maybe seeing like, look, 
I mean, look, Quinn Snyder would demand a, a big, you know, probably a big contract almost anywhere. He's probably well, they want to give it to him, top. pro. That's my point. They want to give it to him. It says it says in this. This is according to Tim McMahon. Yeah, it's it says true. One of the highest yeah. paid coaches in the NBA. No, I know, but maybe he wants to go to a bigger market with you know a, a better chance to win on top of the money. Because like, hey, look, you don't know what motivates anybody, right? Like, we we don't know. It's person by person. And if he's going in and maybe he doesn't want to rebuild and maybe he feels as though if they rebuild, Mitchell leaves, Gorbert leaves, and then it's going to be another five or six or seven years, you know, until they really compete again. Maybe he says, well, wait a minute, I could go to New York. I can go, you know, maybe they got a better chance. Maybe Brooklyn, you know, maybe one, you know, maybe the Lakers, who knows? Um, I don't know, Bogues. I have no idea. I'm not him. But it is weird that you've been there a long time. You're one of the best coaches in the league. They're going to compensate you for being one of the coach, best coaches in the league, and you don't want to sign your deal. You know how these coaches are. They like, you know, just like players, sometimes they like to keep their options open. He would be coveted by many teams. So maybe he just wants to bet a, a team that's probably more built for winning today or tomorrow. Unless they're going to keep everybody together, maybe he's tired of it. Like, you know, again, he'll – He'll demand money in the in the open market, so maybe he's just tired of it. Maybe he's he's tired of beating his head against the against the wall and not having a chance to win, and maybe he just wants to go somewhere else and change the scenery. And you know somebody's going to pay him for it. Mm. Yeah, well, like you said, I don't think it's a money decision. I think there's something else to it that that, that we don't know because obviously they're they're claiming or McMahon's claiming that they're offering him a big deal. You'd think he'd he'd sign that or at least let him know. But uh, watch that space because I think something's going to rise in the off season. Uh, the New York Knicks hire uh, Mr. Brunson from Dallas's father. Um, Rick Brunson and former NBL player pro, he played a season in the NBL uh, to 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 Thibs coaching staff. The New York Knicks now they were linked as one of the um, prime targets of of going after Brunson, uh, Jalen Brunson. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Is this a slight tampering play, or is it just as simple as Rick Brunson's a great assistant coach, pro? Well, there's big there's big history um, with the the um, the management team. Thibodeau in Brunson. <clears throat> so a little background. Thibodeau is a Boston guy. Um, originally coached at Salem State College in Salem, Massachusetts, which is like two towns over from where I grew up. Rick Brunson was a McDonald's All-American out of Salem High School. Um, had a prior relationship with Thibodeau before he even got in the league. Uh, Brunson then went to Temple and you know, he used to work out in Philly when, you know, Thibodeau was an assistant in Philly. He used to work out in Philly and sort of had a relationship. Leon Rose was Brunson's longtime agent. Worldwide West, who is part of their management team, was working for Leon Rose, who has a huge relationship with Rick Brunson. Rick Brunson played for, you know, many teams in the NBA, was a great backup, backup point guard, and was on Tibbs' staff in Minnesota. I think he was on his staff in um, Chicago too, if I'm not mistaken. So they got a long history. Yes, does it help him with Jalen? For sure. But all those guys got long history. I mean, he represented fucking, he represent, Leon represented Rick his whole career and has history with those guys. I think that, you know, a little bit has to do with, hey, it will help us with Jalen. But I think those guys wanted to hire him and, you know, Rick sort of took a, took a year off, a couple of years off in the NBA. He coached K 
Camden High School, one of the top uh, in New Jersey, one of the top high school programs in the country, had Dewan Wagner's son, which was one of the uh, biggest recruits in the country. So he's been doing some stuff in basketball since leaving the NBA, and I think they just wanted to hire him back. But, yes, it does. I mean, it's not just because he's a great assistant. I think it's because of, you know, the you know they're familiar with him. He's familiar with them. And, obviously, Jalen's relationship with Rick, it will help them in free agency if it comes close. I think I think that Cuban's going to end up paying him whatever he wants. Uh, but this does definitely help him if it comes neck and neck in the negotiation. Yeah, fair enough. That's a big history that we, a bit of history we didn't know about, or I didn't know about at least. Um, so it does go pretty deep. So it's not as simple as that. But um, it definitely helps. So it definitely helps having him on the staff. So we'll see how that goes. All right, Richard Jefferson, did you see these, this quote? So Adam Silver has also in that press conference discussed the, uh, the potential to shorten the 82 game season, pro. You see, uh, you see old RJ's rant? Oh, yes, I did. It was fan-fucking-tastic. All right, we're going to play that right now for our viewers. It's a two-minute rant, and then we'll, uh, we'll join you in a second. I think this is absurd. This is my issue right here, right, is that you have game readies. You have Norma techs. There was years ago where players used to not travel. They would not travel uh, commercial. We have eliminated back-to-backs. We now have a, a week-long all-star break instead of instead of like three and a half days. Yep. And I remember guys used to have to catch flights, play the last game on Thursday, play in the game on Sunday, and then you would have a game on, on Tuesday, Wednesday. They have done every single thing. Every team now has sleep staffs. They have extra training staff. You have massage therapists that travel with teams. Now, guys, are you want to shorten the season? Like, how much more do we have to make this coddling and all of this stuff go with the players? It makes absolutely no sense. Professional sports is not good on your body. It's supposed to separate the people that can do it from the people that can't do it. And while we do want our best product on the floor, part of greatness is longevity. That's what Michael Jordan, that's what that's what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that's what LeBron James, all of these guys, we talk about their greatness over a long period of time. And to keep eliminating this and dialing back to the point where it's like there's nothing else for the players to do. I think it is a joke. I think they should never do this. Now, if you were talking about the in-season tournament, I think that's 100% maybe if you wanted to just have a little bit more space. But this right here is the epitome of coddling players to make sure that everything is okay on top of the fact that players are taking rest days on top of the fact that they're taking rest days right now. So how are you going to give them rest days and then say, well, we're going to shorten it to 60 games. We're going to shorten it to 70 games. At the end of the day, they're still going to take time off. Tell them about the money. The money. Oh, they're making all that money. I don't think anyone else is going to be yet. These are the teams. These are the owners need to get on these. It's not just the players. Don't say the players. It's literally I've seen guys have a thumb injury and not be able to play in back-to-back because they didn't want their conditioning to be off. Right? Like, if you have a thumb injury, you should be in conditioning. And I'm going to stop because I'm getting too excited here. But the fact that we want to talk about shortening the season now with all of this stuff, you tore your ACL. I've missed time before this. And it ain't just because of that. If guys aren't conditioning 24 hours a day to make sure that their bodies are taken care of, that's on them and that's on the team. But shortening the season, you're going to mess with records. You're going to mess with numbers. You're going to mess with so much of our basketball because this group or the way that's handled right now can't handle it. I'm off that. Many valid points there by uh, Richard Jefferson, pro. That's thanks to ESPN, where he's a, a talk show uh, analyst, does pre and post game, all that kind of stuff, does some commentary as well. 
he got heated in that one. He even stood up during it. Um, they're all seated at a, at a table. He even stood up during it. I mean, a word that sticks out is coddling. I think a point that he made, a quote that he made was, pro sports is not good on your body. It's not supposed to be good on your body, but it separates you from the everyday Joes. It separates you as you are an elite athlete. You can do this. Not many people can. Not many people can play in the NBA or the NFL or baseball. And the reason why is, yes, a part of it is skill and talent. A part of it is doing it every night. And it's hard. Um, It's hard when you have injuries. So I think he has a point there. The other one that I liked was towards the end, he said, if if you go to a 70-game season or or a 60-game season, there's still going to be players taking the games off. There's still going to be rest days. There's still, then they're going to manipulate the 60-game season where a trainer's going to say, oh, we'll get you a rest night tonight. It's not going to change. It's not going to get everyone to play. Okay, we're going down to 50 games. Players aren't going to then play 50. They're going to play 42, 43. We're going to buy rest when we can. And that's, that's a part of a strategy to keep guys healthy. But the ending point was it's going to mess with records. It's going to mess, kind of my point of like the All-NBA teams going positionless. It's, it's going to change NBA history. It's going to change... You know, I'm not big on these top 75 players of all time and top top hundreds, but it changes that as well. You know, how do you then, if a guy averages a triple double in a 50 game season, is it the same as an 82 game season? So I think Richard Jefferson, former teammate of mine, twice, um, great personality, sense of humor. I think he's hit it spot on. Um, I think leave it at 82. That guys only play 60, 70 of them. That's cool. It's expected these days, but there's no point going lower, bro. Do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. I think I think it'll it'll, it'll mess a lot of things up. I mean, I, I did agree with him with a lot of the coddling that goes on in the league and, you know, his thoughts on that. But I think that it's just human nature for anybody to manipulate any type of rule. So you go to, like he, like he said, we go to 82 games, people miss games. You know, they rest and all that. And you go to 60 or 50, just like you said, they manipulate that as well. So, um, and then think about this, folks. If you go like 70 games, it's almost impossible for a player coming into the league to challenge for the scoring title, to, to challenge what's going to be LeBron James's title, you know, scoring title career-wise or Kareem's. Oh, yeah, no chance. You know, no so, chance. No chance. 12 games less. So say a guy is averaging 25 a game, that's like almost 300 points less a year. So over, you know, over a 10, 12-year period, you're talking about, you know, 3,000 points less in your career. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know how it is, Bogues. Everything changes, and it's unfortunate. But, you know, I think people are calling for it. But here's the thing, too, Bogues, and I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not all that much of a bright guy, but look, these players get paid by their 82-game schedule. How are you going to make up that extra revenue? So are you just going to say that the salaries are going to jump up, what, 10%, like at 12% per game? So your game check is just going to be 12% higher? I mean, that's going to be less gate receipts. It's going to be less BRI, you know. The union ain't having that, bro. Yeah, the union's not going to have that. There's no going down in the union's mind or stating out. So it's a valid point. I mean, I think I, I just hate, change just to change like why um you know and I've, I've been involved in teams where i've been told to sit where i was perfectly healthy like, like we're resting you tonight and you have no say in it and it's like okay and i've you know i've been in games i've been with teams that i was really really badly hurt and still being pushed to play so every team's different um but it's changed these days it's like 
his point around, you know, they, sometimes the owners will tell the GM to tell you to sit. We don't want to risk injury. Um, and I get that too because then then the issue is you get to a final series and it's like, you know, why was he playing anyway? You know, why was he playing, you know, LRKD when he came back with his with his strained calf and then did his Achilles? Then we, at the time we, because I was with the Warriors, got criticised. Like, why do they rush him back? But if you don't, then it's like, oh, you know, so it's it's tough, but keep it at 82 games. I, I, I just don't like – I don't like that change just because um, – let guys get their rest days in. Yes, guys are coddled. That's the generation we're, we're at. Richard Jefferson, it's not going to change. Um, we just, but yeah, I, I would hate to see it go to, you know, 60. And I don't think that's going to happen because I don't, I know players aren't going to take a pay cut. I know the union's not going to allow it. Obviously, TV money would be less if that happens. Get receipts will be less. BR basketball revenue, basketball related income will be less. The BRI. So I don't, I don't see it happening pro. I think it's a good talking point. But like you said, Adam Silver loves to appease the players and. Sometimes, Adam, it's okay to say, no, no, <laughs> you know, no, we're not doing that. You know, you don't have to say, oh, we'll think about it or this. Just say no. Um, and I think this is one of those circumstances. And I wonder who the push is coming from, Pro. Um, do, do you think it's solely from players? Do you think it's agents? Do you think it's GMs, owners? It wouldn't be the owners, right? Because they have an incentive to play more games. I would think that, I would think that he's being consulted by a lot of people, players, you know, the players for sure. Um, I don't know. Maybe coaches. Maybe, maybe. Hey, look, it's you know less time away from family. I don't. I have no idea. I would say it's too like probably some of the medical people in the NBA are saying, "Hey, it's bad for the players' bodies." What's what's cut? It's meant to be. You know, it's meant to be. No doubt. That's like I can. There's some mornings I'm 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 retired now from basketball. Some mornings I get out of bed and I'm like, oh shit, (laughs) I can feel game 445. (laughs) Got to take a piss in the morning, like. I'll tell you what, folks. I'll tell you what. If I'm in the NBA, I'm investing a lot of time, resources, and money into taking over youth basketball and mandating that some of the, like mandating that these players play a lot less because you know, look, there's so many more injuries in the NBA. It seems like, and maybe I'm wrong, but like these players are playing every fucking weekend. Like growing up, the NBA players. Probably in your generation, say your draft class, I would say the average NBA player, guys that come in in the NBA draft in high school, starting at age 12 or 13, would play AAU basketball. And they would probably play, uh, so you got April, May, June, July, August, September, October, seven months of an offseason. That's 28 to 30 weekends. I would say the average NBA player, when you were coming into the league, probably played seven or eight years of playing 15 to 16 weekends out of the year, not counting their regular high school season, you know, prior of going to college. These players today, Bogues, I would say in the last three or four years, they play an average of 27 to 28 weekends a year, you know, playing eight or nine games a weekend you know, not not counting the workouts of trainers and not counting. I think that youth basketball from 13 to 19 does a lot more strain on the players, you know, physical than an NBA season does because it used to be these guys sort of didn't play all that much. They played, but not nearly as much as they play now. And then they have to go into NBA seasons and then the medical people have to take care of it. Now you've got it where they're almost doubling up on their consumption of games coming into their college. 
And now that the NBA people have to deal with it, and it's a lot more stress on the joints and the health of NBA um, player rookies coming into the league now, where I think that it's really, their bodies are really taking a fucking beating. And if I was the NBA, I would limit it where the players can only play a certain amount of weekends, you know, for this AU stuff. But no, there's no really governing body. United States is one of the only countries in FIBA that doesn't really have a, a one governing body that controls youth basketball. And it's a, like the wild, wild west. And these players are just playing too many games. They're working out too much. And it's just like they're taking a beating. And there's really not a lot of rest. And there's not a lot of good science that comes into most of these kids where they're resting and they're doing what's best for their bodies. So I think that that, when you look at it that way, and these players' bodies are breaking down, it's not just from the grueling NBA season. I think it's from the damage they're doing to their bodies prior to getting in the NBA that really starts breaking down their bodies a lot earlier in their careers than it would, say, eight to ten years ago. Yeah, it's a fair point, but it's a tough one, isn't it, pro? Because you'd say at a youth level, you need to put in the extra hours and extra reps, right? I mean, that's the mindset. I think the game thing is a separate point. Like, I, I totally agree. 11, what do you say, nine games on a weekend? That's just ridiculous. I think there's value in doing individual sessions that aren't always 100% full sweat. You can do a, you can do a nice one-hour session on touch shooting, right? You know, so I think... Having that balance, no doubt. But I mean, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because if a kid knows that I'm not, I'm not at the level where I need to be. I want to get extra work in. How do you, how do you say no to that based on fatigue, right? Like they might, they might fall behind the rest of the pack. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say no to 200 games a summer and off season, and I would say more than I play 75 games and you know, and get your work in, get get as much court work in as you want. Let's cut down. The 200 games you're going yeah, to play too in much. the summer. That's way too much, yeah. Yeah, you that, know what I'm I, I agree with that. Yeah. The, the games thing for sure, like that's that's ridiculous. Australia's, I think Australia, you play you play representative basketball usually on a Friday night and you might you might play, you might play maybe three games a weekend at best in Australia and then sometimes you'll have your, your state team championships and all that. So it's not overkill. Um, and, and there are kids that play extra social games during the week, but you don't have to. But you're, you know, if you want to, I was playing, you know, three, odd, three to four odd games once I was really progressing through the junior ranks a weekend um, but where I really you know there's, there's not much you're going to learn in a game at a junior level right you do all your learning development with your individual coach and your team sessions that you then implement in the game you might learn a little bit during the games like alright I had a shitty game this is what I messed up but it's usually then addressed when during the week when you've got those individual sessions so for all the parents out there, it's not a, it's not about just getting your kids, you know, hard work every day, hard work, hundred percent. You know, you know, kick, kick my son's or daughter's ass with this trainer. He's kicking her ass or her, his ass. They're sweating. Oh, they're so tired afterwards. That's that's great to an extent, but it's not it's not the magic potion. There's still, you know, a lot on development. Watching film is big. Um, learning from mistakes, doing strength and conditioning, recovery, sleep. You know. Um, even getting some massages, learning how to look after your body, knowing when, you know, look, there's days you're tired and you probably need to break through mentally and push through that tiredness. And then there's days where you're generally fatigued and, and you should hopefully have a good trainer or coach that can understand individuals. And that, I think that's a problem, Pro. We don't we don't have, there's no longevity in junior sports anymore. Um, you see it a lot in the US with, with, with guys who just change high schools or change AAU teams on the click of your fingers. Oh, I don't like that coach. I'm not playing 40 minutes, I'm playing 35, I'm out. It's similar in Australia now where, you know, times get tough and people just bail and 
you don't have that relationship of knowing your own player. Whereas back in the day, it was like, I've had this kid since he was 12. I know he, he looks a little tired today. He's not moving well. He doesn't move like that. Usually something's up. We're going we're gonna to go on a little bit lighter today, right? And that's that's where we get lost with all this movement as well. So I, I agree with you to an extent. I think the game thing is too much, but it also is tough with, with the workouts. You want players to feel like they're putting all the work in to give themselves a, a chance. But um, as far as the NBA goes, 82 games for me. I'm all in with that. Pro. Guess what, man? We got a sponsor. Nice. We got a sponsor. So what do we got? We have. I'm pleased to announce Dabble has come on board as our as our sponsor partner, betting sponsor. Um, Dabble is betting meets social media. So I've been on that for a little while. I've done some work with Dabble. Fantastic guys on Dabble. Why is it unique? How is it different from other sporting? sports bet apps um, you can follow your friends and mates you can stalk the experts or trending tipsters so basically pro you can go on this app and you might see some some experts you like maybe hbob or, or myself um, and you can you can basically copy their bets to your account in one tap so you don't have to go through and then copy it you know one by one say it's a multi or, or, or a bet with five different bets on it you can just click it instantly to your uh, to your account you can comment on people's bets you can join a there's a forum on there as well for each different sport so you can go in there and shoot the shit which is perfect for what we do that's why it fits in perfectly you can just go on there and, and talk shit and um, I've got an account on there you can follow me Andrew Bogart all one word but um, for Australians only at the moment so for our international listeners we apologize but uh Download the app, Dabble. It's um, it's good fun. You can you can just go on there and talk shit, have fun, follow bets. Now, obviously, you got to dabble socially, pro, and you got to gamble responsibly, as as per uh, the regulations here. We don't want people gambling irresponsibly, pro. That would not be good. But um, it is a fun app. I've I've been on it for about you know almost a year now. Um, I've done all my awesome all, all my NBA tips on there at different phases and just have fun with it and and, and sit there and, and talk shit, pro. So it'd be a perfect one for you to jump on once we once we have one down there in uh, in the US. Well, folks, the only thing is I don't eat responsibly. I swear responsibly. I don't know if I'm going to gamble responsibly. So I'll think about it. But I appreciate those guys sponsoring us. We you know been a long time coming and yeah. hey it i have three words for him it's about time <laughs> thanks dabble so if you download that app download dabble jump on board it's good fun there's a number of other australian uh big name athletes heath shaw robbie farrah that are all on there and have accounts we all jump on there from time to time and shoot the shit and talk shit and it's about having fun and enjoying what it's about and i'll tell you what it, it is hard to pick Winners in multis at times. Um, some of these, some of these professional sports betters, um, and you know, they, they, they people think it's easy. Like a guy like Haralbos Volgaris for what he did and how he grew up. It's it's, it's hard at times. You got to do a lot of study and a lot of reading, and you also just have to take a gamble every now and then. So download Dabble, have fun, and uh, you'll hear that plug from from the next couple of podcasts, and and we'll move on. And anyone else who wants to join the Rogue Bogue scene, the podcast. Um, for some sponsorship or advertising for a small business or brand, jump on my website andrewbogart.com. There's all the all the info there that you can shoot through shoot through a email and let us know what you're thinking, and we'll have a chat and, and see if it all aligns. But um, this one aligned perfectly, and the rest is history. All right, NBL Australia, not a whole lot of movement in free agency. Pro still being pretty quiet. Uh, DJ Vasiljevic has re-signed with the Sydney Kings, so a huge part of our championship run. Made some massive shots in, in the semifinals and finals, so that was a no-brainer. We're glad to get that done. We do have some more news coming next week, Pro, for the good old Sydney Kings, so stay tuned for that. Nothing I can announce right now, but some, some more good news coming next week. 
The Adelaide 36s Pro have been rumoured to have picked up two of the biggest import free agencies in the league. Um, funnily enough, Pro, they both have the same agent. Uh, a bit of leverage use there Shocking. by the agent. They all have ended up at the same team and I have, I've been led to believe it is Robert Franks and Antonius Cleveland have both ended up with the Adelaide 36s. So uh, Antonius Cleveland, of course, one of the best defenders in the league last season, all NBL first team, you know, hell, hell of a season. Uh, Robert Franks was really good for, for, the, uh, for the Brisbane Bullets. So both of them have, added, have ended up in Adelaide Pro. So that's, uh, that's been interesting as far as the NBL movement, but not a whole lot else other than that. That hasn't been announced yet. I think it might be announced right when this podcast is dropping, if not later. But uh, Liam Santa Maria and uh, a few other people on, um, on NBL Overtime had discussed it, or NBL Free Agency, I think Cam as well also discussed it, that um, they thought it was – a couple of different guys, including those two names, but I'm led to believe it is two, those two names, Pro. So not a lot of movement other than that, Pro. So um, we will get into stats. I've got some good ones this week, Pro. So uh, let's do it. <laughs> got some real good ones. All right, stats useful or useless? Darvin Ham makes history, Pro, as the first head coach to have a sandwich meat named after him. Useful or useless? Oh man. Well, my appetite would say it's fucking useful, but I'd just say it's useless as shit, to be honest, <laughs> in my opinion. But I say useless. What do you got? Yeah, useless. I just thought you'd like it because it, we, 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 we've linked food in the podcast for like the 455th time. So, um, Darvin Ham. I love it. Great sandwich meat. All right, playoff per game averages, pro. This is your guy, Kobe Bryant, 25.6. Oh. Points a game, 5.1 rebounds, 4.7 assists, and 1.5 steals. This is player X. Who is this? 26.4 points, 5.3 rebounds, 6.3 assists, and 1.6 steals. All better than Kobe. Who is that, bro? Luca? No. He's still playing. He's playing right now in the NBA Finals. Oh, uh, Tatum? No. No, no, it can't be. Not off that game. Um, Fuck, uh, Steph? Yeah, it is. Steph Curry. So uh, he's, he's eight times the charm. Mm, he's 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 better better than Kobe with points, rebounds, which I was shocked in, and assists and steals. So not a lot of people would know that. And I I didn't know it until I saw it and I was like, wow, it's a pretty good, pretty good stat, knowing how great Kobe was. Um Steph's right up there with the best of them. That we know. What's that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know where I saw that one. I think I just, someone just posted it on a random account, I believe. It was just show, a screenshot of the stats because I think there's been some debates about it. So I know one of my friends had a debate with me about who, who I would take and it's, it's, a t- it's a tough one. People think you go straight Kobe or straight Steph. Like it's you look at the numbers and, and Steph's ahead by uh, individual numbers. So anyway, all right. The former Knicks player pro has made the NBA finals in every season since 1947. <laughs> Current Celtic Luke Cornett. It was with the Knicks from 17 to 19. Now, footnote, this was a little lazy though, bro, this this stat. Uh, this was promoted by, I think, mm-hmm. Sports Center had it and a few other ones. They counted Penny Hardaway. Now, he made the finals before he was a Nick though, bro. So, I don't know, that's a bit of an asterisk in that one. But, uh, yeah, basically, if you've, if you've stepped foot in Madison Square Garden, there's a high chance you're going to make the NBA finals, bro. Useful or useless? Uh, it's useless as fuck, but it's a pretty interesting, but it's useless, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's useless as well. And I, I think just because of the Pinata way thing, threw the stat off completely. He played for 
Orlando when they went to the finals in '95, and then played for the Knicks in what mid 2000s, late early 2000s, mid 2000s. So you can't count that, but. Um, Nonetheless, an interesting one to read about. All right, the NBA Finals will have the largest distance travel gap since 1964 for a 6.5-hour grueling flight. Useful or useless? i say it's pretty useful, though. You know, longest flight, you know, travel with playoffs and stuff. It's a little bit useful. Not a lot useful, but, you know, if, you, if you're comparing with the other, the other stuff that we've been sho- uh, shoveled this week, I would say it's useful. <laughs> yeah, you got to compare it to the other shit. Um, I think it's useful because it's <laughs> not so much since the 1964 shit. I don't care about that. I just think it's useful because a 6.5-hour flight, if this thing goes six or seven, is going to make a difference. You can bet your bottom dollar, especially with guys like Al Horford, potentially Draymond Green, guys that are in their 30s, a lot of legs, a lot of a lot of run. Um, it, it can have an effect as, as much as players don't like to admit it sitting in those those, those radiation tubes for 6.5 hours there and then back um, I do not help the body at all uh, Bogues you know how much money is going to be lost in Bouray during the fucking playoffs <laughs> with that six and a half hour flight we're talking oh, hundreds man. of thousands of dollars we are we are um, I have heard the Warriors don't play cars on their flight anymore though so I'm, I kind of shed a tear for that, yeah. po- that poker game's gone um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a bit sad about that. Yeah. I don't think they have enough players. Uh, yeah, and I only eat two slices of pizza when I order a large. The fuck out of here. Oh, I've heard it's the, the poker games died. Maybe there might be Bure, but I've heard the poker games died. There was because a few okay. poker, a few poker guys, D Lee, myself. There was a few other guys that are, that are long gone now. So. It's a sad day on the, on the Warriors' flight, but uh, who knows? All right, last one. Becky Hammond, nine and one record, marks the best ten game start to a coaching career in WNBA history. Pro, useful, useless? Useless. It's only ten games. I don't give a fuck about ten games. Uh, call me after thirty games and see how she does. She's got a hell of a team. I, like I told you, I got one of my top clients is Arika Gumbawali from the Dallas Wings, and uh, I pay attention to the league a little bit and. Um, her team's pretty good, Las Vegas, but I, I think just 10 games. I don't really give a fuck about 10 games, to be honest with you. I, like I, I'd like to I'd like to see it over 30 games. I think it's useful. I think, you know, she's a, she, her, first, her first term in the WNBA, I mean, she's come from pretty pretty good pedigree in the NBA, but she's 9-1, you know, best 10-game start in, in, in the NBA history, WNBA history for, for essentially a rookie head coach. I think it's useful. I think it's useful. So I'll, I'll, I'll give the uh, the ladies there in the WNBA a pat on the back. I think that's a good stat. I see that's addition by subtraction because is the um, a former member of the Australian national women's team that doesn't play in Los Angeles. Oh yeah, Vegas sure. Yeah, this is just the yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Cambridge is gone, no, no doubt. Yeah. Successful. Hey, <laughs> folks, I'll tell you what. Uh, Dallas played LA the other night. She fucking destroyed Dallas. She was like Wilt Chamberlain, for God's sake. She can play, man. That's the thing. Like, I've, I've, I can separate. I can separate good. the two of her. You know, of, of her being. But she's batshit, angry. Yeah, yeah. Her, she, her being backshit crazy. To she can play. She's a. She's a. She can play basketball. She's a very talented player. She's stretched it out to three now, so she's not just a standard big girl that's in the paint wrestling. She's a fantastic basketball player. I can, I can separate that from her being a moron. Um, but yeah, I mean, complains it's, it's just, every fucking call, both. Every call complains. She's angry. Mm-hmm. She wakes up angry and sleep angry. <laughs> but uh, anyways, addition by subtraction, bro. It is. Fair enough. I'll take that on the chin.
All right, fact or fake news, pro. I've got, I've got one. I'm going to start with this one. This has been a, a, a debate that I've seen, which is head scratching for me. But um, Steph Curry's legacy changes without a Finals MVP. Fact or fake news? The way I judge it, fake news. The way I judge it, fake news. But other people really think that you know Finals MVPs really impact the player. And um, in, certain, in certain circumstances, I agree. But I think the, the teams that they've had um, with the amount of like great players on them, I would say that it sort of changes it a little bit. But I would say that it, it shouldn't change his legacy from what he's done for the game, what he's done at a high level, throughout the playoffs and regular season. And, you know, sometimes you just, I don't know, sometimes you're just not the finals MVP. What do you think, folks? No, I think it's fake news. Like, his legacy is his legacy, man. The guy's, the guy's a two-time MVP. Um, he's got three chips. Okay, yeah, KD joined some of those. But it's, let's, let's be honest, the Warriors, synonymous with the name Stephen Curry, um, I just think it's 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 so stupid that people are like oh he hasn't proved his worth till he has a Finals MVP. It's okay, yeah, it'll be another trophy of of the other hundred he's got in his mantelpiece. Great, but does it change his legacy? No. I mean, I think it. I think I somewhat compliment him even more for allowing Kevin Durant into the fold. Right? Like how many how many guys you know in the NBA, honestly, pro that would you know they're the franchise guy of said team. They're the guy on the billboard at the front of the arena. Their shoes one sold in the local market. How many of those guys would allow another Max superstar in that in that bubble to take over from their name and their likeness? How many how many guys do that in the NBA? Honestly, bro, like there's not many. There's not many. No, not, not to the extent of KD. Like okay, LeBron jo- joining Miami. We get you know Wade needed help at that point. Kind of Miami was was up and down at that point. You know, they bring Bosch in. Bosch is kind of not really that guy, like a like a big loud superstar. But but bringing a guy like KD in, like you know that 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 takes that takes a different type of superstar, and they've got that in Steph Curry. So I think that he gets doesn't get enough credit for that. People say, oh yeah, he, he took the easy way out. Like no, he didn't. He's not an idiot. He knew, hey, we can get a really good player that can play next to me. Sure, I'll, I'll adapt my game a little bit. All of a sudden, I'll lose some of the billboard space. Nike's going to take over. Well, so be it. But. People people underrate that, so I think it's, it's it's fake news. So I had to put that that one in there. But what do you have, folks? Uh, with Jalen Brunson, well, first of all, let's let's yeah, Jalen Brunson with his dad signing with the Knicks as an assistant coach. Does that cement that would cement him going to the New York Knicks? Back to fake news. Fake news, just based on your cell pro earlier about thirty minutes ago. The whole background behind the Brunsons and. And New York and and Leon Rose and Thibodeau and all that. Um, you've sold me that it's not gonna it's not gonna be the sole factor. So I'll say fake news. Yeah, I'd say fake news too. Plus Dallas could pay him. I believe Dallas could pay him more than anybody else. Yeah, because they could add the year on the. It's, they have they have his bird rights, so they could give him an extra year on it. And I I think it's just gonna come down to money and fit. I think that that you know, look if the money's the same, maybe. But it can't be, so I I would say that it's fake news. That it um I would say it's fake news. I don't think it's cemented anything except the fact that 
his dad's making a lot more money than he did three days ago. So, um, yeah, Fair that's point. what I would say. And, um, okay. So, folks, I'm all over this this week, this week about that. Uh, the Golden State Warriors truly dominated the Boston Celtics for 40 minutes, like Draymond Green said in his press conference. Back to fake news. Fake news. Um, I think it was much less than that. And like I said, they the, the, the Celtics, I, I, I guess he's insinuating they lost in the last eight minutes of the game, right? He's saying that the last eight minutes of the fourth quarter is where they lost the game. They dominated the other 40. Well, Boston Boston were right there at halftime. So, like I said, there was lulls in that game where, where the Warriors just didn't finish court as well or, the, or at least the half well. Um, so not 40 minutes. I think they, they maybe dominated you know, tw- like domin- dominated, dominated, 20-ish, somewhere in the 20s in my opinion. Um, and then I think there was treading water for both teams for about 10 or 15 where there was probably not an advantage. And then, but yeah, the, the, I, I agree that the Celtics stole the game um, to an extent because they probably, they, I don't think they had any business winning that game. I think the Warriors had had, had control for the most part, but as we know, that, that, that doesn't matter. So dominating the game for 40 minutes, fake news, bro. Yeah, that's what I say too, folks. I, I don't think they dominated it. And plus with the three-point, plus with the three-point, um, was a three-point shot, you know, I mean, like 12 points isn't that much. Obviously, Boston figured that out. But I, I'd say they were with them blow by blow, especially in that first quarter. And then, you know, I, I don't think they dominated them all, in my opinion. I say it's fake news. Beautiful. I agree. Short and sharp. Get back to sleep, pro. Going to Disney World right today? Disneyland in about three hours. I got to drop my family off. My kids are thinking that they're going to they're go to the gym and watch me work some players out. They'll be very uh, probably impressed the fact that they're going to Disney. Then I got to work a couple of players out. And then I'll be meeting them for about eight hours. And 3,000 calories later, I'll be enjoying Disneyland, my man. How much sleep did you get last night? Uh, literally 70 minutes. Okay. I, I was, yeah, 70 minutes. So good luck at Disney. Good luck at, good luck at Disney. Good luck at Disneyland. <laughs> 70 minutes sleep. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be a, tra- I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a, um, what I'm going to be a transgender dwarf. I'm going to be sleepy and fatty at the same time. So it's going to be a 13th dwarf. Enjoy that, man. Enjoy it. All right. That wraps up this week's episode of the Rogue podcast. Uh, remember, at Hoop Consultants for uh, all your pro needs. You can do some some film cut for your team, for whoever you are, wherever you are in the world, and give you some analysis on what's going on. And at Rogue Bogues for all our social medias and give our podcast a share. And remember, download the Dabble app and gamble responsibly. Adios. Later, guys.